All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. It's Wednesday, and we are WBOK 1230 AM. <laughs> it's Wednesday, July 8th. Yes. All right, you got it. You got it. <laughs> I am Dr. Adrian. I'm Dr. Maria. And we are NOLA Ed, Education for Liberation. Um, having all kind of technical challenges this afternoon, but not technical challenges with we're our not sound. Technically challenging. No, we're not technically challenging, but we're technically challenged today. Um, just all kinds of stuff going on, but I'm happy to be here with you, Dr. Maria. I'm happy to be here with you too. How Dr. is you? How is you? I got a whole stand. What? You all fancy and stuff? I know. It came in the mail today, and it's got little tripods and a ring light. I don't know how to set the ring light up, so we're just not going to worry about that right now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. What else is going on with you? I got an avocado tree with Camila. That was pretty exciting. You bought an avocado tree? We tried to grow one multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for those of you who are involved in the homeschooling of uh young people young folks um the you take an avocado pit you put some toothpicks in it and then you suspend it halfway in the water Mm -hmm. but the first thing you should know is that there are male avocado trees female avocado trees or seeds rather and sterile ones Mm. and obviously they're not labeled okay so we did like 20 avocados. We ate a lot of avocados. We had a lot of toothpicks, you know, and we did this for three months and we didn't get a sprout. So we finally just found a really nice guy in Metairie and we drove <laughs> out. And that we sounds bought. like a song. A nice guy in Metairie. <laughs> a nice guy in Metairie. So we just went out and bought a tree. Wow. Yeah. You have was... a whole avocado tree in your house. Um. Yeah. I mean, yard. it's not going to like like give avocados for a while it's still like you know it's you know maybe like it's a little shorter than me we had to bend it to get into the car but it's like you know it was i couldn't i couldn't let the the failure stand Hmm. you know what i mean i mean you know i hear you i hear you sis i hear you um what else is going on so I mean, I'm asking you what else is going on, but I also want to share some stuff that I know is going Yeah, it's starting to feel like one of those leading questions where you're like, so what do you want to talk about? Let's talk about what I want to talk about. So, I, so I'll let you start because I am excited to share what I want to share. But go ahead. You go ahead. You know, you go. Okay. So the two things that I wanted to make sure that people were aware of is that um, the uncommon schools, um, they're a charter school system that uh, has a lot of representation in New York. Um, I'm not sure if they are around in the New Orleans area, but the main thing that you should know about them is that they were really, really abusive to a lot of their students and to a lot of their teachers. Mm. Um, And for the past two weeks, students had been using... um, the black the BIPOC at un, the uncommon underscore BIPOC page to share their experiences and to begin organizing for a change. Um, and the page was recently taken down. What? Now, by ins- whom? Uh, probably by the by the school because it is a business. It's a charter school. Well, how can they take the page down? They probably appealed to Instagram and said it was either defamation or bullying. Hmm. Especially if they referred to any um, 
teachers or, or the principal by name, then mm-hmm. it would fall under Instagram's guidelines about bullying. Wow. Um, a similar page that we'll make sure to share on our Facebook page has emerged uh, about KIPP, mm-hmm. which is in New Orleans, right? Yes. Yeah. There is a KIPP in New Orleans. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this KIPP page is featuring the stories and experiences of faculty and students of color who have, um, you know, not always had the best time. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, kind of like a under, like a not a diminishing, but it's like the least you could say about it. Yeah. Um, and basically, like we're gonna share that page. You should check it out when you can, because, like I said, um, if they do name like actual teachers or present staff or the principal or the dean or the CEO of the school, then um, that might eventually lead to the page getting taken down. Hmm. And what is it called? Kip at, I mean, Black at Kip or something like that? Uh, yeah, it's called Black at Kip. Excuse me, it's actually called Being BIPOC, which is B-I-P-O-C. That stands for Black and Indigenous People of Color mm-hmm. um, at Kip. So it's at Being Black at Kip um, on Instagram. Wow. And like I said, we're going to share it to our page as well. Eventually. I mean, I can't even... I can share it. I think I know how. I'm just having all kind of technical. You know what? It's a it's a day. But it's also an exciting day because why? Oh, because of what I was gonna share? Yeah. Oh (laughs) gosh. This is what I have to deal with. (laughs) Right. Like it's really, you know, it is what it is. Um, so it's an exciting day to be alive. But I was on a town hall. That was sponsored by um, the United Teachers of New Orleans, Friends and Families of Louisiana's Incarcerated Children, uh, Step Up Louisiana, Familias Unidas en Acción, um, and Open, um, Open NOLA, and uh, Kids Rethink New Orleans. Which were two, we had two representatives of those same organizations as guests on our show this week. Last week. Last week. Yes. And um, so it was, it was a great town hall and the, it's actually, I think they're, they'll be wrapping up in about 20 minutes. Um, So unfortunately, like Wednesdays, you know, is the, is the hot day for um, community events. Um, But they, uh, the, the, the question, the provoc- the provocation for the group was, do you really think it's safe to open schools this year? And uh, so that's the question. And uh, the hashtag is safe or no. <laughs> Are we it. safe? Are we safe or no? So um, we're hoping that through this coalition of groups, uh, folks will want to discuss and push, you know, they should demand a, a participation on the planning because um, so far they've been kind of um, passive recipients and, and not passive because they're wanting to be passive, but because they've been placed in a position of being passive of just, um, you know, waiting for um, the, the State Board of Ed that has come out with guidelines. The State Board of Ed has come out with but guidelines. But that might all change because of what Trump said. I mean, it's just... Crazy. So, but there was a task force that did not include, that wasn't necessarily representative of all the people, uh, of all the constituents. Um, so I think um, there there were teachers, but there were teachers from one of the networks, um, 
whose CEO was already a part of the task force. So it was really like, how diverse was it if the CEO of the task force was also, um, you know, was, was already on the task force, and then he has two teachers from his schools on Only there. Only from the... So does that mean that it was charter representatives or public school Well, so in New Orleans, you know, it's all yeah, charters. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't a diversity of schools represented yeah. necessarily. Um, and I think that was like shrouded in mystery about the full representation of, of the task force. And it just wasn't very inclusive. And um, there was a survey, um, NOLA Public Schools. It used to be called, um, if they're NOLA PS is their little name, and they used to be OPBS, OPSB. Mm-hmm. Um, they put out a survey. They sent out a survey. But on our town hall, we had 300 people, and no one on the town hall had actually completed the survey. So people are like, well, that's bananas. Mm-hmm. We have one teacher who's viewing who writes, we are not safe. The CDC should not make changes based on Trump's tweets. They should make recommendations based in science. And that's from yeah. a science teacher and ESL teacher. Nice. It's also my sister. Oh. But I didn't want to say that part. But okay. then I did. No, you did. So I, um, My sisters are just as cool as your sisters. I didn't. See, this is all. This has nothing to do with me. This is a little sister <laughs> moment where I'm like, my sisters are just as cool as yours. I didn't say that your sisters weren't cool. That's really weird. I mean, it's completely. <laughs> I didn't say that. I know your sister, and I do think your sister is cool. So, you know, I didn't say it, Teresa. That's that's Maria. That's um, yeah. so we do have a guest. Um, we have a guest joining us today, and I'm very excited. And she's always um, available. Not always, I'll say, but I I, I can't remember a time where she hasn't been available. Um, and it's Dr. Gloria Latson Billings. Um, I call her Big Mama because she's my big mama. And are you on the line? I am. Hello. Hi. Maria, Hello. don't steal my thunder. I'm not trying to. It's just I'm really excited. I've excited you so much. <laughs> Maria, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Maria. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> We're going to, Jazz, be ready to cut her mic. <laughs> Um, Dr. Maria Velasquez. Um, I have a my research focus on Black women in belly dancing. Um, my colleague Tamika Morant um, and I use a lot of your work in our discussion of Black girls in play in public elementary schools. And I'm just happy to be here. Mm-hmm. A Maryland well, alumna. Delighted to meet you. Yes, my my co-pilot. Uh, so we're we're happy to have you on the show. I just want to say, for, if for folks who are listening, and we posted this on our Facebook page, everyone was all excited. So if you have questions or comments, you can call in at 504-582-9422. I think that's the number. Sometimes I give out the wrong number, and I don't mean to, but I think it is 504-582-9422. We have the best producer and DJ on the radio. Yeah, DJ really Jazz do. is always ready. Um, so if you want to call in with a question, please do. But but um, I wanted to talk to you because we today um, had a town hall uh, on Zoom for parents and families and community community members kind of wrestling with a question that you posed um, in, in your blog, Black and Smart. But are we really ready to open schools? And... Um, and your provocation was in part around COVID, clearly, but also this notion of equity, like schools weren't really that great to begin with. 
So what are we reopening um, for our for our students? And so um, we have the I think we posted your blog on our page. We did, but um, we'll repost we'll it. We'll repost it. But can you share kind of what your thoughts are and what you are encouraging folks to think about and wrestle with teachers, families, um, school districts about the reopening in this moment of both COVID and kind of even, you know, civil unrest, if you will, around race and racial inequity? Sure. So I've actually been talking about the fact that our our students are facing two pandemics. Clearly, there's the COVID-19 um, health pandemic, but there's a second pandemic of racism, mm-hmm. um, which has been with us a lot longer. But for many students, um, not just black students, but students of all races and ethnicities have seen a murder in front of their very faces yeah, uh, in their living rooms, yeah. something that perhaps they never thought they would have seen. Mm-hmm. So I've argued that the idea that we would just go back, and that's been the language. When are right. we going back to right. school or that right. we, we need to get ready to go back? Is that for the kids for whom I am most invested in, it's no going back. Right. Because what they had back there was not very good for them. Sure. Mm-hmm. So the idea is, and I've used the metaphor of the hard reset. Mm-hmm. And I talk about the fact that we all understand having a electronic device. We all have phones um, that sometimes just don't work. And when they don't work, we head off to the store, whether it's the Apple store, the Samsung store, or LG, wherever you got your phone. And what you might hear from the folks there is your phone needs a hard reset. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really mm-hmm. something you don't want to hear right. unless you have every single thing backed up. Yeah. Because the hard reset means that they're going to really erase everything and give you a phone that was just like it was when it came to you from the factory. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm arguing has to happen in our schools. Oh, okay. not a matter of just going back. Right. But it is resetting everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we do that reset, um, we, we, we're going to reset the curriculum. We're going to reset our pedagogy. We're going to reset maybe even our organization mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, how we do a school day. Um, and what's been the inspiration for me has been looking at nations who have had catastrophic events where everything uh, kind of went away. Yeah. And their decision to do something very, very different with mm-hmm. schools. So I've looked at post-war Japan, mm-hmm. which after World War II, Japan did their schools totally all over. They decided what we were doing wasn't right. Uh, and indeed, they ended up... Um, for the first time doing some co-educational schooling, which they hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. Um, they changed their organization. Mm-hmm. They actually mimicked the organization of uh, U.S. schools. The other place I've looked is 
been post-war Italy. Mm. Because post-war Italy, I mean, the, the, the nation said, we do not want to produce another generation of fascists. Well. This, we don't want to end up like this again. Yeah. And so the wonderful Reggio Emilia preschools that we hear people rave about all the time. And in fact, we send students from the U.S. over there um, to see those schools. Right. Were born out of the reset of Italian schools. Uh, and then I guess the most common or uh, recent analog is uh, post-Katrina New Orleans. Yeah. And unfortunately, all the people just wanted to go back. Yeah. Mm. And because going back was not an option, because what was happening back there for the most part wasn't producing um, successful students, it created a vacuum. And so what you then have is a group of neoliberal reformers who say, oh, we know what we'll do. While they're sort of twiddling and thinking that they can just go back to what they did, we have a whole other plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the motivation for that plan is that people figured out that there was money to be made in public schooling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's why I believe you have what you have is that no one in the public sphere thought carefully about what it would mean to go back to school again mm -hmm. or to, mm -hmm. you know, to reset the schools. Uh, I had a conference with about nine school superintendents in the San Francisco Bay Area, and one of those superintendents was bemoaning the fact that he was going to have a huge budget cut. And he kept saying, oh, you know, I'm taking this $3 million hit. My district's not that big to begin with. I can't do $3 million, and that's going to mean this. And, and I just said, hold up. I said, it's going to be a big budget hit if what you intend to do is what you've been doing. Yeah. See? But if you actually want to rethink what you do, rethink it around a budget that is $3 million less than what your budget was before. Mm-hmm. And he just said, I, you know, I hadn't given that any thought. I just thought, you know, I have all my same people. We'll go back and do all our same stuff. Um, so as bad as this COVID-19 is, it is an opportunity mm. to do some stuff really differently. And one of the things that is an opportunity to do is to pay close attention to students' mental health and social emotional needs. Mm. Um, our students have been through some things, and, and you you know this. You you folks know this from um, New Orleans, right? From from uh, the storm where you have kids who are so traumatized. I mean, traumatized to the fact that they just kind of lost it whenever it rained. Yeah, because what it, yeah. it just provokes so many traumatic and, you know, difficult feelings. Well, one of the things that has happened in the midst of COVID-19 is that children have seen people die. Yeah. You know, they're working one day, they work in a grocery store, they're driving a bus, uh, they are pharmacy techs. And the next thing you know, they're real sick. Nobody knows how did they get sick like this. Mm -hmm. And then they die. Yeah. And if that's not bad enough, there's no normal ritual closure. No. 
because the disease is so pernicious that you can't have a home going. You can't have a funeral. No. So you haven't figured out a way to have kids understand that Aunt So-and-so has gone on and we've celebrated her life. None of that was, was possible. And yet our, our children are carrying all this around with them. And so the idea that they would just come back to school and open up to page 27 exactly. and start again mm-hmm. um, is, is, is just it's inhumane to even think that way. Yeah. So I think that the challenge is what kind of schools are we going to have? And what is the role of schools in the healing uh, of children and their families? In the what? In the what of children? The healing. 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 We've got um, two comments from viewers. The first is um, what you think of Hawaii's plan to eliminate standardized testing um, for at least the next year. And how the other comment was um, the biggest problem is that each state and each district within each state is reopening dis- differently, mainly due to funding differences. So how how can that be addressed? So I think the first question is the easier one to answer. So let me just uh, go at that one, because the idea that there, there be no testing, uh, it's, it's, we, we thought we couldn't exist without testing. And lo and behold, we've had a whole year now and we haven't had any testing. Exactly. The world has not come to an end, okay? Um, so we know we can we can operate uh, a school year without tests. So I think Hawaii is being smart in realizing, well, we haven't really done any instruction, so why should we be doing any testing? Yeah. The testing ought to be paired to some instruction. Um, the question of the differential starts based on different states uh, in some ways is akin to differential schools based on differential funding, right? We, we, we didn't ask the question, well, how is it fair to uh, be spending over 10 or 15 grand for kids in uh, Massachusetts and we're only spending seven for kids in New Mexico? No. Mm-hmm. So just like and, and, and that has to do with the patchwork quilt of the schools of, that we have in the nation, that the nation is not ready to realize that we ought to be thinking that we have a national system. Uh, we keep saying, no, we have a state system. And having state systems, and, and within those systems, that there is tremendous inequity uh, because it's li- they tend to be linked to um, property taxes. Mm-hmm. So you've already set up a totally inequitable system. Um, you, you, you shouldn't expect that it's going to equal out, even if all the schools started at the days they were going to start on. Um, the resources are so uneven that it is unlikely that you would have equity across those states. Right. So this is, is a... Um in some ways, a tremendous moment to really do um, to do the equitable to 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 enact equity as we kind of have called for some of the uh, redistribution of funding, so that it is <laughs> it's much more equitable. Think differently about um, how we fund schools. Um, uh, one of the things that I was interested in having you talk about, because you, as you know, we we 
think about this, um, this notion of what it means to be culturally relevant. And um, I know you've had a number of requests to talk about uh, how can teachers be culturally relevant in a virtual um, or distance learning kind of context. And so, you know, kind of the nuts and bolts. I mean, people struggle with it just when they're in the face-to-face environment. But what does that what does culturally relevant pedagogy look like um, in a virtual environment? And I know there's a lot of variation in terms of just the platforms um, that teachers are able to use um, and, um, and, and what's available, but, but just if we just took, you know, Google Classrooms or, I don't know, whatever whatever platforms, what, what does culturally relevant pedagogy look like in that kind of virtual, in the distance learning context? So I, I want to think that the actual beauty of culturally relevant pedagogy is that it's nimble mm-hmm. and that it's flexible. What it looked like in 1989 when I started mm-hmm. is not what it looks like today, but it's still relevant and important um, because it's always going to be responsive to the, the context of the culture that it sit, it's situated in. So if it turns out that the context that it's situated in is virtual, you still have the same obligations in terms of student learning, cultural competence, and sociopolitical consciousness. You still have those same responsibilities. Um, The challenge, of course, is who has access to what. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done a couple of um, classroom visits to a high school in Baltimore, and the kids were just amazing. The problem is a lot of the kids weren't there. See, right. Um, they, and I don't know whether it, it's mere access or the demand to be gainfully employed to help out um, adults. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of reasons. Or whether it's the, just the fact that virtual uh, learning doesn't do it for some kids. Um, we we are seeing kids getting really sort of stressed out and bored uh, quickly on these various platforms. Yeah. Um, we also presume that, well, we've given you a device, but maybe that's, you, there's one device per household, mm-hmm. but there, there are three or four kids. So who has, you know, does everybody have to be asynchronous? Sure. Or right. how is it possible for everybody to be synchronous when they all are supposed to be at a different class? See? Yeah. So and, mm-hmm. unless we begin to think through some of the actual technical and logistical issues that come up as a result of this, and does uh, doing it on a device have to be the only way we're doing it. I'm actually um, setting up a summer um, experience for some kids. It's supposed to start next week. I hope we can get it done. Uh, that we're calling it Smartly in the Park. And uh, the acronym is it's an S with the two, like an exponent two, mm-hmm. Smartly in the Park that stands for Science, Social Studies, Math, Art, 
and literacy um, in the park because we're going. We've gotten permission from the city to use one of the park shelters three days a week. Oh, nice! Uh, mm. For the next month, and we're probably going to suggest do. I wanted to do maybe one grades one through three, but I've been limited in the number of kids we can serve. I wanted to do 35 to 40 kids. They're telling me no, 25. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll probably just do third and fourth graders. Uh, but, you know, maybe what need, what can happen is that uh, we can meet kids in more outdoor spaces uh, for kids for whom looking through a screen is less satisfying. Yeah. Because that can be monotonous for all of us. We're going to take you. You you're staying with us, right? Until eight. Sure. Okay. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. This is WBOK twelve thirty a.m. I am Dr. Adrian. I'm Dr. Maria, and we are No Led Education for Liberation. We'll be right back. Oliver O.T. Thomas and the Early Bird Band, host of the Good Morning Show, right here on WBOK 1230 AM. What New Orleans is talking about, man, yeah, the city's on fire. I know everybody's excited. It's O.T. and the Early Bird, and thank y'all for all of y'all's support. Man, so tune in daily. Get the kind of information, man, for our life, our family, our business. We talk about it all. So join me every morning, 7 a.m., yeah, for 1230 AM. Yeah, what New Orleans is definitely talking about. Everything that you need. Big men making big plays in big games. That's why they call us the Big Time Sports Show on WBOK 1230 AM, what New Orleans is talking about. Did you hear the news? Education for Liberation has a brand new time. Join me, Dr. Adrian, and Dr. Maria every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Same substance, same impact, just a new time. So join the conversation on Education for Liberation every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Speaking truth. I'm the truth. To power. WBOK. Twelve thirty a.m. What New Orleans is talking about? About. What New Orleans is talking about? WBOK. Twelve thirty a.m. All right. All right. All right. All right. We're back. This is WBOK. Twelve thirty a.m. I am Dr. Adrian. I'm Dr. Maria. We are NOLED, Education for Liberacion. That's my little Spanish being fancy. Uh, and it is Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. We are live in the studio. Staying a, a little bit far from each other. Yeah, we are social distancing. We did real social this distancing. This is not real like, social distancing. This you is, know what, ma'am? Can my you just... cut, like, social distancing is six feet. Jazz. And my cousin is six feet. I need you to cut her mic. <laughs> cut her mic. <laughs> And so for those of you who are having a hard time figuring out how to social distance, if you have a cousin like I do that's six feet, it's if your cousin who's six feet could lie between you and the other person. You could just call Maria's cousin to come <laughs> lie down on the floor and measure. <laughs> or you could use a tape measure and count. What, who carries a tape measure around? Well, I'm just saying, or we just call up your cousin. You know like what? That? He's very popular. <laughs> I'm not calling your cousin <laughs> to figure out six and feet. And plus, I feel a lot of people have tall cousins. Okay, Maria. Jazz, the mic. <laughs> All right. But we did so, have a comment from... Yes, yeah, so um, Shandrika 
oh, if I said your name wrong, I'm so sorry, Miss Leonard, um, was actually attending the town hall. Mm-hmm. She was on the, the Zoom, the town, the Zoom town hall, the town hall that was on the Zoom, sponsored by United Teachers of New Orleans, Friends and Families of Louisiana's Incarcerated Children, uh, Familias Unidas in Acción. Are you impressed? Actually, no, oh, okay. I'm actually Step just really Louisiana. excited that it was there. And uh, Kids Rethink New Orleans Schools um, sponsored this town hall to have people think about and share um, and talk about, think about strategies. Um, Do we really think it's safe to open schools? And we're asking people to go on Twitter and post under the hashtag, are we safe or no? Mm -hmm. And it's not with an H. No, with an H. Some people spell it with a W, but we spelled it with an H. We spell it correctly. Yes. So we're, um, we are very um, honored and happy to have Dr. Gloria Latson-Billings on the show with us today. I, you know, Maria tells me stuff and I don't know what she's talking about. So we're happy to have her on the show. We had another comment from a listener. Now, that- Maria, you know that I can't see that far away. That's true. Okay. So um, <laughs> the listener I mean, was saying that any discussion of funding for schools needs to include a discussion of PPE. PPP, not PPE. PPE. So you can't even see. And I know what it said. Oh, really? Yes, it was PPP, the, the, the payroll protection plan. Oh, I Boom. thought that they met the materials. No, ma'am. It was the PPP. So some schools here, because the charter school lobby was successful mm-hmm. in getting charter schools access to the PPP money, um, charter schools were able to apply for some of that money. They were set aside specifically for charter schools on a first-come, first-served basis. Um, actually, they just released, and uh, someone sent me a, a list of the Louisiana um, businesses that got um, that received some of that funding. So I didn't I didn't get a chance to look at it before the show, but I'm sure I'm sure one of the schools we were talking about earlier was a recipient. But yeah, at any rate, were. I want to bring our guest on Maria, ooh, um, Dr. Gloria Latson Billings. Hello, Gloria. Hello. <laughs> this, oh, Dr. Latson. See, I have, Maria does this every week. We meander and travel all kinds of places during our conversations and sometimes it's you, it's me it's not always you but today it's you yeah it's you okay i've been insulted <laughs> <laughs> so we were you were sharing the um the outdoor the 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 summer program that you're planning for kids um in madison i'm assuming yeah okay and it's outdoors you're you're planning out and you hope it'll launch next week yeah so um we have a, a woman in town who you know, Andrea Davis. Yes. Uh, who has been putting together these wonderful sort of learning bags, like drawstring. Oh, that's awesome. Um, book bags that have uh, African American trade books. It has an African American inventors activity book. It has a set of dominoes that have an African American theme to them. That's dope. Some other card games with African American. So she's got a whole set of different things, games, toys, that kids can either on their own or with help um, navigate. And so we decided, well, why don't we use these as the basis for putting together some ideas to get kids uh, engaged? Because we're not trying to recreate school. Right. Um, you know, I think that would be the kiss of death if we just tried to make, them, make it be school again. 
but to try to make it be uh, some fun learning activities. Um, we're, we're hoping for three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, and I think all in all, if we run from next week to August 15th, we'll get a month in of just engaging kids' minds and getting them back to a place where they're seeing other people. Um, you know, we actually had to spend money on things like infrared thermometers, masks, and sanitizers. Right. Because we, you know, the county is saying, yeah, we're going to let you do it, but you have to meet the, the standards in terms of the safety standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and do the kids get to keep these um, these bags? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, wow, that's they're, awesome. they're bags. So did she get funding or, I mean, I know Andrea works no, ma- miracles. No, she started out of her pocket. And wow. I said, I don't think that's right. I yeah. think we ought to pay for it. So I got the funding for uh, the pay for the bags, but I was just in a meeting earlier today with some uh, foundations here in Madison, and they like the idea. And in fact, they like it so much. They're like, well, why don't we do it over the city? And I said, why don't you let us do it as a design experiment? Right. And right. then if it works, our plan for sustainability would be that you would incorporate it into the city's summer programs next year. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So we, we don't we don't want to try to just roll something out, uh, particularly something that we don't have much control over. This one site, we have all the control over. We know who will coordinate. Uh, we're also going to hire youth mm-hmm. to be the teachers or the teaching assistants for this. So at the end of the, the four-week period, the they'll get a stipend. That's awesome. Is the, um, are the materials in the bags, like, consumables? Like, are you going to have to refresh the some bag? Some of them. Okay. Yeah, so some of them are consumables. And we will have enough bags for how many kids we have. I know we already have 50 bags, but we've been told we only can do 25 kids. Right. Right. Even outdoors? Even outdoors, yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Because they know the dimensions of the shelter. Yes, uh, okay. And, and how many people could safely fit in mm-hmm. and will this be in the um mount zion area in madison yeah right in um little, we have a little park near the church called penn park uh and it really does come from the fact that the church has said we want to do something for our kids we have you know we've been so focused on trying to meet adult needs yeah whether it's um rent um paying utilities um those kind of things. What if, uh, you know, but we haven't done very much for our kids. The most we've been able to do for our kids is make sure that they get fed um, in that we've been transporting the lunches that the school district has supplied for them. Oh, you know, the school, school district had this great idea that they would continue giving lunches. Problem is they had not considered the fact that their distribution spot um, is interrupted by a major thoroughfare. And so we found lots of kids at home, but those same kids were told, you better not leave this house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, mom has gone off to work with the uh, admonition that you can't leave the house. So we were able to get our young adults who were the least vulnerable population to take the church van, pick up the lunches and deliver nice. them. Mm-hmm. Um so it's that that's the community we want we want to be working with. Mhm. Mhm. And what so now that you are retired kind of 
I mean, you are officially retired, but she ain't really retired. <laughs> this don't get a paycheck from that other place. From now. that other place, you like James Brown. You like James Brown, a Jamaican James. Brown. <laughs> you got more jobs. Um, what have been since you've been retired? And we it was just so interesting. I mean, that it coincided with the. It's not interesting, but you know, you retired, and then COVID happened. See, see what happens when you retire. No, we, no, a I world pandemic. 20, 20, I retired in twenty eighteen. You know. See, this is 2020. <laughs> but see, the world lamented your leaving the academy. And it's not officially. like 2019 was a great year, right? <laughs> but what since the since the um, pandemic? And I know you do a lot of professional development and keynotes. What have what has been the kind of top um, request that people have made of you? Um, because you, she has a whole studio set up. I, I learned a lot. Yeah, the green screen. I'm like, what kind of green screen did you get? So um, what are you, what what kind of uh, supports are you are you offering now for, or asked to do um, since we've been in the COVID situation for schools or whomever? So mainly people want to know again about well, what how we're going to get back to school and so i've been having to disabuse them of the notion of going back mm-hmm. uh, and trying to really get people to think about going forward yeah and 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 rethinking the way we might organize school so i get a lot of that and you know yeah. as your earlier question okay how does the culturally relevant approach fit into that mm-hmm. um so that's kind of mostly what i've been been doing mm-hmm. um in terms of speaking engagement, um, I sit on a lot of community boards. Mm. I, for some reason, the, no no profitable board calls me. You know, <laughs> I can't I can't get Coca Cola. None of them right. call me. Right. Um, so I usually sit on boards where I end up paying them something. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on. I, I chair the Urban League of Greater Madison. And we have a ton of uh, initiatives in the midst of COVID, uh, whether it is helping people get employment. We actually have a housing project where we're trying to get black ownership in, um, particularly in the South Madison area. So we're buying houses, we're rehabbing houses, Mm -hmm. and we're selling those houses to folks. Uh, I also sit on the urban, uh, excuse me, the United Way of Dane County's board, and I chair their education delegation. And, you know, they wanted to come back and keep doing their work plan. And I'm like, hold up. Do, do y'all not realize uh, we're in the midst of a pandemic? Right. Hmm. Or can you make that too? And so I've had to help them rethink how they would, you know, do their sort of AmeriCorps volunteer projects that are literacy-based. Um, truth of the matter is the volunteers may not be able to go into schools. You know? And we also don't know what kind of schools, uh, you know, we're going to have. We don't know if we I mean, I can almost guarantee we're not going to have the same school in the fall that we had last fall. Mm-hmm. But what we might have are hybrid offerings that you know part online part in person or we might have all virtual we don't know that yet and we're going to have it in the midst of a new superintendent who will be unless the board just 
totally flakes on this one. This superintendent will be Madison's first black superintendent. Oh, wow. Um, because the two finalists um, who the community got to meet virtually last week, it was a black man and a black woman. Oh, wow. So, so yeah. it's going to be an interesting uh, set of things. And then I'm also on the Madison Children's Museum board, and the Children's Museum has had to close. Oh, wow. Um, and they've had to lay off a lot of people. Oh, no. So one of the things that I've also been talking to people, school people about is, how are you thinking about incorporating other community partners? Mm-hmm. If the museum is closed, how might the museum help you out on those days where kids are not in school? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know, how might libraries help you out? How how might the Boys and Girls Club or community center? And rather than just thinking about these entities as after school or uh, extra. Mm-hmm. activities that they might be a, an integral part of yeah. what education and schooling look like. Yeah. Yeah. Some colleagues and I just got a, a, a grant to study um, how black mothers who are essential workers, how they are handling the, you know, the stay at home piece of it. the the kind of being homeschooling, uh, for all intents and purposes, how they're kind of handling that. Um, and we're uh, wondering if districts have have considered that particular subpopulation of their parent population, right? Um, and, and, and to your point, kind of how are they, who are they partnering with um, to provide supports um, for families? So, you know, the Chromebook and the hotspots are helpful, but there may be other pieces and we may need other um you know we may need other partnerships um to support parents and 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 i and, think and i also think we're starting to recognize that there's sort of an optimal amount of time you can put a young child in front, in front of, of a, a computer that's right that's right you know. I, I was watching a program on TV some weeks ago, and this guy is, a, I can't even remember who it was. He's an actor, mm. right? So he has resources. And he apparently been posting what's going on with him and his eight-year-old daughter. Mm. Well, it's hilarious because this little girl's not paying attention to anything. <laughs> uh, and at one point, uh, he's trying to teach her something about uh, some social studies lesson that had come via the teacher, uh, and she was supposed to learn these things. And the whole time he's reading the information aloud to her, she's singing, this girl is on fire. Shut up. And, <laughs> and has take, taken a purple marker and dotted her face and her entire uh, sweatshirt. And he's like, I don't know how teachers do this. <laughs> but why didn't he stop her? It's like he was exasperated. Like, yeah. I yeah. what to do here. Right, right, right. That's hysterical. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, my worry, though, I am worried that, that we are, because parents have to be home and um, they have to, you know, essentially homeschool, that we're, might be romanticizing school a little bit. Yeah. You know? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the desire to have kids back in school so that, you know, 
parents don't have to worry about, to, you know, how do we do that? We normalize some of the discipline or the over institutionalization of, of children. Um, right. I actually have a friend that, that, that her experience actually speaks to that. Um, she has a daughter in a private school, a very expensive private school, and they've had a number of challenges in the past year. Well, she's been working with their daughter at home and has a, uh, not quite one-year-old, but she's been able to work with her daughter. And when it was time to report back to the school with some stuff, the teacher was like, oh, my God, she's just learned so much. <laughs> she was like, yes, you guys really don't teach her wow. as the only black child in your class. Yeah. That's hysterical. <laughs> like, wow, she's learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's not just that we romanticize schools, but I think we also forget a lot of the equity issues associated with it. Um, that was actually something that you guys had to call me out last week for when we were talking about uh, the carceral culture mm-hmm. that is endemic to public schools. Because I was really like, no, but I miss my students, and it's mm-hmm. going to be so great when we're all together. But no, I mean, I spent half the time trying to figure out whether or not I was going to call student services with very conscious awareness that calling student services can, you know, be incredibly detrimental to students actually learning or students' experiences with authority figures, and it always involves the cops, mm-hmm. or it can always involve the cops. Mm-hmm. And so, by way of giving Maria's background, so Maria has a PhD in American Studies. Yep. And has had two postdocs. Yep. At what was the first one? Bren- uh, the first postdoc was so I was a scholar in residence at University of Hawaii. Boom. Uh, I did mm-hmm. the. Africana Studies postdoc at Bucknell University. Bucknell. And then I was the Transnational Africana Studies postdoc at Ohio State. Okay. And that's where oh, we wow. met. Yeah. That's where we met. And okay. Maria is from New Orleans. So, yeah. of course, she became oh, my homie. Great. And um, in the midst of just a bunch of different things happening, decided to come home and become a high school teacher. And it's been great. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting certified en route. So. I am in a route to certification. <laughs> so she, um, are you going in your third year or second year? I'm going to be entering my third year. Your third? It's been wonderful. I know. If my teaching career uh, at K-12 through was a child, it would be, uh, it'd have 50 words that someone <laughs> outside the family could recognize. <laughs> and you, this year you're finally teaching in your area? Or yeah, no? yeah. Well, um, yeah. Before this I was doing world geography and world history, but now I'm finally Teaching American history. Okay. Okay. Yeah. To it, we this have that in common. Quite a, a age range. So what are you? What uh, grade? Seventh grade. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And eleventh grade. And eleven. Who does that? But that's <laughs> that's the way the school is set up. Is that they? Um, I don't know why they just have middle school and high well, school, but well, not the all of middle school. Eleventh graders are a gift. I can tell you. They're, they're a gift. They're like the best. Yeah, they're the best kids in the whole system. <laughs> I'm excited to hear that because um, I love my ninth and tenth graders, but there definitely were days where, you know, one student uh, took a cardboard box from a board game and just started hitting himself on the head with it because it made a funny noise. And he oh, kept wow. doing it because his peers kept laughing. Right. And I was like, I've seen toddlers <laughs> with better sense because a toddler will be like, ow, that hurt. I'm not going to keep doing it. Wow. And so seventh grader. Well, I- Go ahead. I'm sorry, Gloria. I was just going to say, 11th graders are that group that finally get it. Okay. They realize that this, this thing is real. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got it. There's, there's really a permanent record somewhere, you know. 
It's, it's why when you look at uh, school clubs, they're they're dominated by juniors. Mm. Everybody's trying to get that resume filled uh, up. Ah, okay. And Maria, do you you hosted a club last yeah, year? Yeah, I was the library. I was the faculty liaison for library club. Library club. Nerd were, alert! Nerd alert! Well, you know what was I'm funny just is joking. no, it really is like, <laughs> but like in a good way. Like it was not a book club. And if I ever made the mistake of referring to it as book club, they were very clear that it's library club because they are increasing a culture of literacy and activism. Is that what the kids said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Go at their, um, at West Jeff. Wow. So, but the, the seventh grade in Louisiana, is that Louisiana history or is that eighth grade? Uh, seventh grade in Louisiana is U.S. history. But yeah, I, US when I history. looked over the dates, mm-hmm. a lot of it is, a lot of it is significant well, events yeah. that only Louisiana are significant if you're from Louisiana. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not that the Louisiana purchase is important to everybody, but right. it's, it's an interesting starting point for our discussion of American history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's cool, though. And then you're doing U.S. History for 11th grade. U.S. History for 11th grade, and that's going to be an honors class. I'm not sure if we're going to veer into AP territory or not, because what's the deal with testing? Yeah. You got the dream job next year. Fingers crossed. I don't want to wake up from it. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited about them. And I'm super excited about figuring out what culturally relevant pedagogy is going to mean at uh, Science and Tech Magnet School. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Well, Gloria just said it is. What it's it always is. flexible. <laughs> always it flexible should be, you should and be nimble. flexible for the yes, flexible yeah. and nimble. But there are three major things to remember. Yeah, that there is a focus on student learning, on cultural competence, and critical consciousness. Mm-hmm. All three of those things need to be present. Need to be present, Maria. I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so I think students are very lucky to have Maria as a uh, content area expert. I think that right. I think the main thing that I'm worried about for the students, honestly, is they are going to be coming into a school year where so many like psychological moments that are mm. like really important for them to have hit before eleventh grade and before seventh grade, they're just going to be absent because they'll have spent so much time in their home environments. Um, so they're going to be under-socialized, they're going to be anxious. Well, they're not under-socialized, they're under-institutionalized. Um, uh, but is that, Let's, that yes. dang it, you're Marie, right. You keep romanticizing school because you just love school. I do. But for I, those I, of us, <laughs> I'm representing the kids who hated school. And <laughs> Both my parents are teachers, school was just like being at home. <laughs> right. So I think, yeah, well, but you'll be with the nerds, I'm just kidding. I mean, they might be. They might be the nerds. So it might be a dream. It's yeah. We'll see how you're doing. I'll Finally, someone you. will get my jokes. <laughs> um, but more seriously, like I am really worried about their feelings and yeah. like their anxiety. And that's really kind of the first emergency that I've been telling people they need to attend to. Yeah. Not worry about who's on what reading level. Right. But what are the social and emotional? as well as mental health needs that our students are going to exhibit. You know, when we see these examples of teachers who do a caravan driving through a neighborhood, it's not to bring somebody a math packet. It's it's people saying, oh, Miss so-and-so, you know, I'm so glad you're here, or or the teacher saying, I miss you. I mean, it's it's those human connections Mm -hmm. that our students have not had access to. 
And we're going to let you have the last word. That human connection, being flexible and nimble, those are the things to remember. Thinking about student learning, thinking about cultural competency. And critical and consciousness. And critical consciousness. So thank you so much, Big Mama, for joining us. This was a today. delight. It was my it pleasure. Was delightful. It was delightful. This is WBOK 1230 AM. I am Dr. Adrian. I'm Dr. Maria. We are No Lead Education for Liberation. We'll be back next week. Thank you, Jazz. Bye-bye, y'all.